As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Christchurch West Shore presents Knots Untied with Gene Sherman and Zach Jones. Today's topic, racial reconciliation. I'm Gene Sherman. I'm Zach Jones. And you're listening to Knots Untied. And welcome back, Zach. It's good to see you, my friend. Freshly back from appendectomy. (laughs) Yeah, no, good to be back at least a little bit. You know, standing up taller every day. It's nice to... (laughs) Like have it gone. Yeah, you know, I feel a little more empty on the inside, with missing a, a little organ, but uh, it's nice and quick, and you know, it's just an expensive nap, so uh, <laughs> can't complain. So, friend Zach's just coming in for the podcast today. He's been out, so keep him in your prayers, and it's it's good to see your smiling face, my friend. Good to be back. Today's topic, as you heard, he's saying in the intro, uh, it the racial tension that's going on in our country. Um, has not gone away, and I mentioned no. it that was it this past week in the sermon or the week before with all the with all the the legacy of Martin Luther King and and the civil rights movements, and we stand on their shoulders. We really haven't improved that much, no. and so I think it's important as a Christian community that's predominantly white. To just step back for a second, and what can we do? What uh, what should be our proper reaction? And what is the Lord calling us to do? Most importantly, yeah, absolutely. All right. And so I thought we would start with that first. And so I first just want to read a text. It's in, I think it's you'd be very familiar to our Christchurch listeners, as well as the most Christians who are listening to this podcast. Um. It's in Genesis chapter 1, God speaking. Genesis 1, chapter, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, Male and female, he created them. I think the beginning of this discussion, as well as any discussion across races or nationalities, is to remind ourselves that every person who's drawing breath is created in God's image. And therefore, you hear me use that phrase often, everyone is an image bearer of God. And I can't help but think that um, 
once you just grasp that, that one little fact, you look at people differently. Yeah, absolutely. And you start to listen to them more. Um, growing up in suburban D.C. in the 60s and 70s and 80s, um, you know, the racial tension that you saw in Remember the Titans, I lived through as a little boy. And my mom was part of a movement of... of of moms in the community between the white community and the black community and the Jewish community. And every year for two weeks, we would go to Horizons Day Camp for the sole purpose of just listening to one another. Oh, you had cool. these white Anglo-Saxon Protestants with, with blacks and Jewish kids. And we all sing each other's songs and what have you. And it was really a, a very yeah. positive experience. It wasn't a Christian camp. It was an understanding camp to, to understand. I learned to eat bagels, and I learned to eat really good fried chicken. You know? <laughs> and so um, it was, it was a, a delight to be part of that, that camp. And yeah. so the Lord used that in my life, and just looking at this, and as I went into becoming a young man, playing with African-Americans on my football team, uh, predominantly white school, but there we had some African-Americans, as well as going into coaching where one-third of my players were black. Uh, the events of the past few weeks have just been heartbreaking because I know what the guys who I coached who are now in their 50s, they're thinking, I've been going through this my entire life. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's actually, for me, um, I grew up my first 10 years of my life were in a, an almost all-black community. Mm. Uh, this, I went to an almost all-black school. I was the minority you right. know, as, a, as a white boy. What was that like? Uh, you know, it just, it was cool. I, but the thing is, I was treated just like everybody else. Uh, and so really for those first 10 years of my life, growing up in an almost all-black community, definitely a black majority community, um, I wasn't really aware of the racial tensions. I remember, uh, and my grandma might smack me for saying this if she listens to the podcast, but we were sitting in front of a pharmacy, uh, and my mom went in to grab something. And I remember, uh, I don't remember what the conversation was that led up to this, but she turned to me and said, you know, we used to say, and then she said the N-word. And mm -hmm. we talked to black people, and it wasn't a problem. I don't know why it's so offensive now. And I, I was just shocked that that was even okay. You know, that was the, that was the first, and I love my grandma. She's a great person, but like many, she has her own prejudices and that was her prejudice. And that, uh, it shocked me because I, up to that point, I wasn't aware. And that's Ohio that folks, not issue. Mississippi. Yeah, this is Ohio. I grew up in Northeast Ohio, you know, mm -hmm. so this is a, um, a little, uh, community in near Warren, um, near Youngstown area that I grew up in. And, uh, I, I didn't really become aware of racial tensions that really, I kind of just brushed it off, but Go moving though to a, a rural town up in Ashtabula County, Ohio, mm -hmm. where it was an all white school. Um, not intentionally, it's just that was the community makeup. Um, that's when I started becoming aware of the racial tensions. And but having kind of grown up in two different communities, right? Uh, and then seeing what's been going on and realizing, well, it seems like it's making up almost all of what I see on social media for the past like three or four weeks. Like a lot of my friends, especially in the town that. I spent my early years in have been living this, you know, since I knew them right. their whole childhood right. uh, up through adulthood. It hasn't changed for them. So let's talk about looking at 
every person on the face of the planet being an image bearer. Yeah. Uh, our catechism speaks to this in question 43. The question is, how does recognizing God as creator inform your understanding of his creation? I acknowledge that God created for his own glory everything that exists. He created human beings, male and female, in his image and appointed us stewards of creation. God's creation is thus a gift to enjoy as we work and care for it. You could talk about that for an hour, you know, yeah, and the absolutely. implications of that. But we, we, we are, we can, we can, we have, we are free to choose as human beings to love, to create, and to reason, and to live in harmony with the Father who loves us. Yeah. And the world, you know, and it just, I know it breaks the heart of God to see what's going on. And so the question is, then knowing that everybody's an image bearer, how are God's people historically in the scriptures called to treat people that aren't like them? Yeah, well, we can look throughout all of the Old Testament, really, to see how we're instructed to care for the people who are disenfranchised or marginalized and um, actually yesterday uh, Phil Vischer the guy that uh, creator of VeggieTales came out with about a 20 minute video on how the church should respond to racism but first he provided some stats and some facts of American history and systematic racism and at the end of the video uh, he says uh, what can we do right he said, I don't have an answer about what the policy decisions need to be but it starts where all great solutions to problems start and that's by caring mm -hmm. so all i'm asking you to do at the end of this video is simply to care and it was, it was powerful to me i was like this i mean first off another reason to love veggie tales right like right. this guy brilliant um guy really good at making things accessible even if it turns out that Haman did not go to the island of perpetual tickling. He was hanged, <laughs> which is a little bit different than going to the island of perpetual tickling. But he was spot on here when it came to race. Right. Um, but the idea of care, that's what you see in the Old Testament, right? That's the instructions that the Lord gives to his people. And uh, one particular passage where you see this is in Deuteronomy 10. And, and I'll start with verse 16 and we'll get to verse 19. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt." Now, sojourner is a fancy way of saying somebody who has no home. It's basically like the idea of a refugee. Mm -hmm. But the concept immigrant. there, an immigrant, the concept there is treating somebody who is largely not welcome mm -hmm. as if they were welcome. Right. So he's giving instructions to this culture that is not a stranger to being unwelcome mm -hmm. or to being in slavery or to being on the fringes of the culture they're in but is now finding itself becoming a majority culture in the regions they're taking over, a, a people group that the other people groups fear. Right. He's telling them, care for those people who are on the fringes of society, right. the people who are vulnerable and oppressed. And he reminds them, 
you know how this feels, mm-hmm. right? And now mm-hmm. the reason that that's important is because these people who would be reading this for the hundreds and thousands of years in the future would read this in the same way it was written. Right. You were sojourners. Right. You need to treat people like this. And so it reminds us that even if we weren't around when the original event happens, like we're inheritors of situations, of cultures, and of benefits, maybe detriments from our cultures that should motivate us to then respond with that heart in mind and realizing that um, I do share a burden of the history and the society that has gone before me because it's something I receive and enter into. I don't enter into a vacuum of life. All right. And so caring for somebody because you know how it feels to be downtrodden, even though I've never been uh, an Israelite and I've never been in slavery, I can look at that and say that as a person of the faith, I inherit the responsibility of the people of the faith before me. And so that means that I need to love the vulnerable, to care for these people who are made of the image of God in a way that is sacrificial, in a way that is unlike anything that the world calls for. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't help but think uh, that in image bearers and thinking of both culture and race yeah. being different than ours. Hmm. We think our culture is superior. We think, you know, because we think our culture is superior, oftentimes we think our race is superior. Or you know, Because, for example, you know, the, the Arab, you, you can't trust them. That's 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 what people say, right? Yeah. Okay, the persons of Arab per- persuasion, you can't trust them, um, or they're so loud because they 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 speak up when they're bargaining and what have you, and it, it's loud. But that is their culture, and therefore you don't like that, so you don't like their skin tone, and you don't trust the whole outfit. And yet, Scripture in Deuteronomy 10 is saying, you know what it's like to be treated the way I just expressed, the way Arabs are treated, you know. Um, It's important, ladies and gentlemen, for us to realize that uh, God created the races. Yeah. And there's every culture around the world, and every culture has positives, and every culture has negatives. (laughs) Absolutely. Right? Okay. Westernism and American suburban culture is different than inner city Cleveland culture, urban culture. That doesn't make there's there's positives and negatives of suburban culture. There's positives and negatives of urban culture. And what we need to do, as as I see it right now, is listen, like just listen to the experience. And, and recognize that the church historically in America, including up to today, is complicit because of our silence. And we need to speak up, I would think, when it comes to certain police reforms. Yeah. I don't think those cops ever learned to wrestle. No. If they would have known how to wrestle. If they would have known how to throw a full Nelson in Atlanta, that wouldn't have happened. The guy would have lived. Yeah. And um, so there needs to be police training reform. And I also want to encourage if there's a policeman uh, that's listening to this podcast, we pray for you guys. Absolutely. It's the hardest job in the world, I think. Yeah. That, teachers oh, yeah. today, uh, public servants, uh, I can't imagine 
dealing with some of the things that they deal with every day. Absolutely, yeah. But we are called to listen and to pray and to speak up on behalf of that sojourner. Yeah. And, and right now, uh, the, the sojourner is the, the, the black, most of my black friends that I've spoken with, and I've spoken to a few of them, they just want the, their white friends to listen, recognize where we've been silent, don't come back and, and to, you know, the black, we're not agreeing with everything that the Black Lives Matter movement no. represents. But when we come back, you know, with all lives matter, when they say black lives matter, what they're hearing in us saying that is, yeah, you believe that all lives are created in God's image, but there's a, some blacks who don't. Yeah. You know. So I, I think of it like, actually, Bethany and I were talking about this the other day. Like, how do we approach these things? Because like, some of the, the responses I've heard that um, have spoken out and said that all lives matter, but what they're saying, what they end up saying is, well, what about um, homeless vets, right? Or what about right. the homeless white people or white on white violence or um, black on white violence? Or what about abortion and things like that? And to which I say, yes, all those are very important issues you know i I am very adamantly um pro-life from the womb to the tomb you know and um and that's important um but this is kind of like in the military in order to reach the objective like the final objective which would that would be an actual culture that does believe that all lives do matter you have to start where the fire is at right right where is the biggest issue right now or where's the issue that where the terrain is ripe for solving the issue. And right mm-hmm. now that's with the black community mm-hmm. because there's enough movement and traction that if we listen mm-hmm. and if we show compassion and care and, and look for the right answers, that could be an area and objective toward the primary objective of all lives matter as a culture. If we can solve the, help the black community and come alongside them and pray for them and be their allies like that, that is one of those objectives that leads to the ultimate conclusion where we can truly say, mm-hmm. yes, we are a culture that believes that all lives equally matter. But to do that, we have to start. Like all houses deserve access from the fire department, but the one that's on fire gets the hose, right? right. So it's the same thing here. Right. Let's, let's deal with the problem that's at hand and show that it is a valid issue. Well, and so when we're thinking about us as a predominantly white uh, congregation, a few people of color, but but not a ton. And that, that, but but that's a that's what Avon Lake Bay, Avon Westlake predominantly is. Um, let's let's talk about how are we complicit in racism? Mm-hmm. Where in mid twentieth century, racism uh, being complicit in racism would have supported uh, segregation, yeah. would have been opposed to interracial marriage. All right. Jamar Tisby, in his new book, uh, brings this up. Christian complicity with racism in the 21st century looks different than complicity with racism in the past. It looks like Christians responding to Black Lives Matter with phrases like, All Lives Matter. It looks like Christians telling black people and their allies that their attempts to bring up racial concerns are divisive. It looks like conversations on race that focus on individual relationships and are unwilling to discuss systemic solutions. Perhaps Christian complicity in racism has not changed much after all. Yeah. 
All right. So I just want to take that in, friends. You know, that's that's what my black friends that I've spoken with the past week have asked us to do, to listen and take it in. And as a family that moves into our neighborhood that looks different than us, because neighborhoods are going to change. Yeah. Um, we had some, some black families in my neighborhood. There's more today in my old neighborhood growing up than there, there was when I was there. Praise God. Yeah. They're all God's image bearers. Because um, neighborhoods change. And so as, as houses change over, it's happening in my neighborhood. Families that have lived there for a long time, they've raised their kids, they're downsizing. New families move in. Kimmy and I pray for that family that they would be open to the gospel if they're not already Christians and uh, that we would be good neighbors to them, that we would represent Christ well to them. And so, you know, it's, I think, A, we listen to them and B, we, as it says in Genesis 12, that we would be a blessing to the nations as God's people and we're blessing to cultures and families that look or from different cultures that act differently than we do. And it's okay. Yeah. Uh, And I think one thing to consider as the church in particular, uh, when it comes to how maybe we've been complicit and not, not, this is not specifically like a congregation or parish specific. Right. 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 As a, as the church in America and all her many flavors, um, how have we, complicit. I think one of the responses that has made us complicit is I don't want to, I shouldn't preach on social justice. I, I should preach the gospel. And that's a false dichotomy. Right. Like to say, right. I don't want to talk about racism. I don't want to talk about oppression. I don't want to talk about injustice or um, the scales being tipped in the favor of my majority culture. I want to talk about the gospel. To which then you say, well, what is the gospel? And if your version of the gospel doesn't include hope for all peoples of all tongues and tribes and nations right. and the restorative uh, blessing from Christ that he accomplished on the cross, if, if it does not include that hope for all people, no matter whether they look like you or not, right, right, then that's not the whole gospel. And right. part of preaching the gospel in a society that is seeing and realizing the oppression around it is to call it for what it is. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and how can we call it for what it is? Here's one way we can call it for what it is. Coming off my experience as a football coach uh, at Westlake High School in Southern Maryland back in the mid-90s. Again, one-third of my players were black, two-thirds were white. Uh, I had a, a really fantastic uh, defensive tackle. Uh, Big John was his name. I can't remember his last name now. But he had a, he was driving, and he'd pick up his friends who were white and bring them to practice, you know. Um, he got pulled over in this white neighborhood multiple times. Hmm. When the, the white friends drove John home, the cops never pulled the white kids over. And that's what I want people to hear uh, it's not police policy, but it's a systemic problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because just because John was an African-American, he got pulled over. I've known 
I've I've driven seven miles over the speed limit because you know speed limits are always set way too low, right? So I drive <laughs> seven miles an hour over in most places unless I feel if I feel it's safe or there's kids around in a neighborhood, you know, slow down. Um, I've had every single black friend because I ask them this question: Have you been pulled over when you've been going over the speed limit? So seven miles an hour. Yep, every single one of them. Every single one of them. So that's the point, my friends, is to listen to that experience. And what we did when we realized that this was a problem, we went to the principal who was good friends with the Sheriff's Department of Charles County, Maryland. And the principal, who was a great man, we said, Mr. Cox, our black kids are getting pulled over. And there's no reason why they're getting pulled over except they're black. And uh, he went to the sheriff and it stopped, at least for a season. It stopped. With, yeah. I think it picked right back up after football season was uh, over, yeah. probably. But, um, unfortunately, but at least it's stepping up and speaking for the injustices yeah. of our culture. Yeah, and I think something that is really simple and easy that we can do to help with this as Christians is that little black book that you read from uh, earlier. We talked about um, male and female, all tongues and nations being made in the image of God. Catechize your kids. Right. right? Uh, The only way that you... Because here's the thing. No no amount of policies are going to reverse something that you cannot truly diagnose, and that's an unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. There's no way to, to do anything to reverse an unconscious bias unless you set about just inculcating yourself with something that makes you think otherwise right and catechizing your kids and then your kids catechizing their kids and so on is how we long-term create a society of virtue that views everyone as made in the image of god right because these things are developed whether we want them to or not and it's the world around us that's filled with hate and tension and polarization that allows for the unconscious bias against our black brothers and sisters to exist right Right. Well, friends, we hope you've given some food for thought. Uh, you hear me speak a lot about uh, joining the Lord at the work he's doing around us. Yeah. Let's, let's, let, we don't need to go uh, to the Glenville region of Cleveland and do good. We need to be good right here. Yep. If you feel called, I got a friend in Glenville. All right. He can, he can give us some ministry. So we need to pray about it. But we have ministries downtown through Building Hope in the City. Yeah. And we've got ministries right here in Bay Food and CRS that helping meeting needs here. And some of those needs are among people of color. So uh, let's, let's wear the righteousness of Christ in the sense of being good, random acts of kindness and and gossiping the gospel and sharing the good news as God gives us opportunity. Yeah. That's where we start, and the Lord will give us a further vision for that. And as, and as we see societal issues, speak up. Yeah. Speak up. Speak up to your congressman. Speak up to... Um, uh, we need to see some police reform, but we also need to pray for our police. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because it's an incredibly difficult yeah. job. And I, again, I would just say... Just, I know as, as we come to a close here, like don't hide behind um, religiosity to avoid yourself, uh, to keep yourself from taking real action. Right. To say, well, what I'm called to do is to simply 
like show up, you know, right. on Sunday, you know, or like uh, if you're fasting or whatever like that, or like you're doing your religion. Like remember that in the book of James, true religion is pleading the cause of mm-hmm. the widow and of the right. oppressed. Right. And, and I have in turn, I don't, th- I won't read it. It's kind of long, but in Isaiah 58, I encourage you to go check it out later. Friends, as you're listening, Isaiah 58 talks about true versus false fasting and true fasting is to cry out against injustice mm-hmm. to un to un hinge the yoke of the oppressed, right? To let them go free, to break every yoke, right? right? So right. if you're looking at like the preaching the gospel or going to church as an excuse not to get involved in your community, you're misunderstanding the point of what we're called to do in our society. So I would just challenge you, read your Bible and you'll see exactly how you should respond to these things. And it is to cry out alongside of those who are being oppressed. Right. So, friends, uh, we just want to remind everybody this Sunday at Christ Church West Shore, we are going to live stream, God willing, the 930 service, and we'll rebroadcast it at 1115. So if you're an 1115 or type of person staying at home, you'll see you'll see us the same service. It's a family service right now at both 930 and 1115. They're only an hour long. And um, but I'll be we'll be robed up. You know, that's the only thing that's really different um, going into that service. And so we have three services, 745, 930, and 1115. All, um, all services are communion, as well as we have the Thursday night service at 730. It's evening prayer with communion. And uh, we have Wednesday morning, 1030, like we've always had. Yeah. And so we have five different opportunities to come to worship the Lord together. And there's all this, the seats are socially distant. Um, and so we, we, we make it happen and there's room for you, my friends. So make sure you register up, sign up, let us know you're coming. Uh, we had a decent turnout when we understand is some of you guys aren't ready to come back. We get that. Uh, we just want to support you and we apologize. The live stream didn't happen, but that was circumstances beyond our control. The internet was not working. So we don't know what gives there. So, uh, we're going to go hook it up. They say it's working now, and so I'm going to go over there and test it later. But uh, I just want to encourage everybody, and when you do come, when someone who doesn't look like us comes through the doors, you introduce yourself, just like you would anybody. Hi, I'm Gene. You are? And this will be a day when we're shaking hands again. Shake their hand and welcome them. I mean, because that's what God's people do. That's right. It's what we're called to do. And uh, it's not about performance. It's about being part of the family. So thank you for listening, my friends. This is the beginning of probably a long conversation and some ministry. Absolutely. And some hard work we have to do as a mostly white congregation. But I know as we we uh, remain uncomfortable, which is, which is a good thing, the Lord does that during these times, uh, the Lord will be glorified and will bear great fruit in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for listening. God bless you. We'll see you guys next week. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you so much for listening to Knots Untied. If anything you've heard today sparks a thought or question, we'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to me, Gene Sherman, at gsherman at ChristChurchWestShore.com. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for community updates on Christchurch West Shore. God bless.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 